0: again, everybody, and welcome back for another week in our fall sermon series entitled Ordo. Ordo. This fall, uh, these last several weeks, and for a couple more, we're going to be uh, sort of following the order, ordo, order, the stages, the phases, the levels of the Christian life. One of the things that uh, was sort of convicting to us is that it's so fascinating to me that oftentimes in Christian talk and church circles, We really don't talk a whole lot about the various stages and levels of faith. We talk about believing. We talked about moving from a non-belief to belief, and then we just talk about death and heaven. We say, well, that's that's about it. It's just that and that. And there's actually so much in between, right? There's so much happening in between that God is sort of growing us and evolving us into as we follow uh, this Jesus. And so if you've not done so here before, if this is actually your first time here with us, I want to encourage you, if you go to this website, ordofaith.com, we created this, uh, me and a small team here at our church, we created uh, a website that is dedicated to sort of like describing what those nine stages are, what are some spiritual exercises you can be doing if you find yourself in a particular stage, and there's an assessment built into the website. That's where you actually start. You take a 70-question assessment. It takes you like 10 to 15 minutes, and it tells you, it says, based on what you shared with us, We think that your faith is relatively here. It's roughly in this sort of stage. And so start here and then see uh, what God is sort of doing, how these sort of these disciplines, these dietary suggestions, if you will, fit with you and how they lead you to a deeper, richer faith. And so I want to encourage you to do that if you haven't done so already. Uh, Today, where we are is we've actually been in this conversation for a couple of weeks now. And so we are actually through stages one through five, one through five. We've been talking about this since early September. And so uh, if you are new here and you're like, man, some of those stages actually sound interesting, or maybe, again, later you find out, oh, I'm in one of these earlier stages. All of these are on our YouTube channel. All of these are on our podcast. And so feel free to find those, and you can sort of dig into what maybe God has in store for the particular stage you find yourself in. But today what we're going to do is today we're going to move to stage six, stage six of the Christian journey, stage six of our faith sort of adventure. One that is called both in scripture and in some ancient Christian tradition, second conversion. Second conversion. Now, naturally, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, second conversion? Like why? Why? Why would I do it again? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I did it the one time. Like, why are we doing this again? It doesn't make, why is there a second conversion? For you Lord of the Rings fans out there, it's a reference, it's also a a good reminder that, again, uh, for hobbits, they don't just eat first breakfast, they also eat what? Second. Second breakfast. Okay, and then quick trivia, ready? Quick trivia. Elevensies. Well done, Mindy. Well done. I'm going to give you a Snickers bar. Okay, well done. So, um, today we're going to be sort of digging into this whole idea of a second conversion, a second big good work that God wants to do in us and through us. And again, you're going to find examples of this all over the Bible if you start looking for them. You'll see this in the life of Peter. Peter goes through one of these in Acts chapter 10. We see David and Moses go through their own variation of this. And, as a surprise to no one, The scripture passage you heard for today talks about yet another character who goes through something we call second conversion, the person of Saul. Now, this is a little bit of the way Saul's spiritual life has looked up until this point. He goes through a first conversion. Most likely, it happened really early in his life. He was raised in faith. We'll come to that more in a moment. But first conversion looks like this. First conversion looks like you go from the status of non-believer to believer. So this is any time in your life or in the the lives of these characters in the Bible where they didn't believe or they weren't really into it to now, they're into it, they're committed. When you think of, when you hear the word conversion, just think of commitment. This is the moment you make a commitment to God and God to you. But the second conversion that we're talking about today, the conversion that Saul just went through in our story, is a different type of conversion. See, he's already a believer. He's already a follower. But for here, he goes from entitled believer to humble believer. I like to say of second conversion, this is the moment uh, when you move from believing in God's grace to having had a firsthand experience of having to ask for God's grace. It's one thing just to like sort of know about God's grace and be able to talk about it. It's another thing entirely to have gone through an experience in your life when you've had to lean on it yourself to see if it'll hold you. And that's what second conversion is. It's the moment when these things don't just become sort of things you sort of prescribe to other people, but you turn back around, you use the medicine on yourself. I love this. Richard Rohr in his book, Falling Upward, he talks about this. He says, uh, in the first half of our spiritual life, it's so common for us to think that grace is something we earn or achieve or it's something that we feel like we deserve to have. In the second half of your spiritual life, after second conversion, you learn that the only thing you can do with grace is fall into it, fall into its presence. So we're going to dig in. If you've got your Bibles with you uh, and you want to follow along as we're uh, sort of going through this story of Saul, go ahead and take them out and turn back to Acts chapter 9. If you're watching this online, you want to do so as well, go and locate a Bible and you can do that as well. We've been studying uh, the book of Acts off and on again uh, the last couple of months. and So just a quick recap, uh, if you're new to the Bible, new to studying the Bible, Acts is the book dedicated to telling about all the events that transpired after Jesus had already come, he'd already died, he'd already rose from the dead, and he already ascended into heaven. So Acts is about the moment where he says, okay, now I'm going to give birth to the church, you all, and I'm going to send you out into the mission of the world. However, it took only seven chapters uh, to realize that not everybody was excited about said mission. Not everybody was into this Jesus movement. In fact, in Acts chapter 7 specifically, we learned that now this Jesus movement is not only experiencing opposition, but persecution. You see, in Acts chapter 7, we learn of the story of the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was one of the early church leaders. He was dedicated to serving his neighbor and caring for people in his local community. And He's teaching and he's leading. And eventually, those religious leaders that killed Jesus came looking for him. And they stoned him to death in Acts chapter 7. And the reason why I tell you this story is because the gentleman on the right hand of the screen is none other than Saul himself. So just two chapters before the passage you just heard read, this is what Saul's been up to, okay? Now, before you think he's an awful, evil person, um, I want to share with you and help you understand that uh, Saul is actually uh, not one of those sort of like mindless religious zealots going out and committing violence in the name of God. He's not like what we experience, unfortunately, sometimes today, these religious hate groups who go out and they're Working out their internal anger and insecurities in the name of Jesus. You've seen this before. This is actually not Saul. That's not Saul. Saul was raised in faith and raised properly, not by some uneducated, you know, off the hinge kind of guy. Saul was raised by the best Jewish teacher in the first century Gamaliel. This is an artistic rendering of him. He's on the far left, Saul is uh, depicted on the far right was his teacher. He got the best teaching of what it meant to be a Jewish person in that time. And he got it since he was age five or six. So this is someone who grew up in the faith. And so when he does those types of things, we see him do in Acts chapter seven, I just want you to understand, he's not being an evil, awful, violent person. He thinks what he's doing is right. He thinks what he's doing Is faithful. But in so doing, he reveals to us the problem. And the problem is this if ever we begin to think that it is our job, that we've been given the assignment of God's defender, it's my job to protect God from all these illegitimate and false believers out there, the moment we begin thinking that is our job, it's a sign that you and I are suffering from something we might call spiritual entitlement. I got a laundry list of symptoms if you're interested, right? So um, those of us who have ever experienced spiritual entitlement before, or maybe you know someone who who does, uh, number one, uh, one sign, uh, is that they spend a lot of time comparing and judging others. Okay? it's like a lot it's like a hobby okay long locks on the beach i like bike rides and i love a good judge fest baby just judging everybody It's so much fun uh those people who use their faith in that way are experiencing some spiritual uh, entitlement number two another another sign is someone who always is quick to point out all of your mistakes all of your sin all of the ways in which you're letting us down and letting god down but they've always got a really really perfectly justified explanation for why they do similar behavior okay so they do that sort of thing number 3 they're preoccupied with what is a real believer so they spend a lot of time obsessing about okay what things do you have to do what things do you have to believe in order to be a real believer and if there's and if you're not in this box okay then you're fake you're not a real one okay 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 that's that's they spend their saturdays doing this okay and so number 4 uh, that's because god always agrees with them you met people like this God always agrees with them all the time. God has never said something uh, that would go contrary to how they vote, how they think, how they live, you name it. And so as a result of that, fifthly and finally, a good sign that you might be suffering from spiritual entitlement is because non-religious people don't want to be around you. And so when you look at these, this is Saul, right? This is where Saul's at. And this is where each of us, Probably at one point or another, on accident, probably most of the time, we've fallen into this. I, I look at these, I've fallen into this, I know, uh, from at one point or another during my journey so far. And so, what happens next in this story, what happens to Saul, is actually what I believe God prescribes to those of us who are experiencing and battling these type of symptoms in our faith. When we feel like we're, when we see these things sort of bubbling up in our own faith, I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to sort of beat yourself up. I want you to go, holy cow, maybe, just maybe, I'm being invited into stage six. I'm being invited into this second conversion. So, let's go back to the story, and as we're doing so, just a quick reminder, if you go to that Ordo faith website, it's, again, it's got all this sort of stuff written down so that you can go and capture this so you don't feel like you have to memorize it. But when you go back to the story, uh, what happens? What happens, right? So, this crazy light comes from heaven, knocks Saul off of his horse, falls onto the ground, and then he hears this voice speaking to him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, who who are you, Lord? Uh, We haven't met, Saul asked. Uh, And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. The first dietary recommendation that I always make to folks who come to me and they say, I feel like I'm going through this stage of faith. The first thing I say to them that you and I need during this phase is self-awareness. Self-awareness. Here in this story, Saul is getting a big old fat dose of self-awareness. He is learning the super uncomfortable truth that the God he's been worshiping, he dedicated his whole life to, the God that he thought he was being faithful to, he realizes in a moment that he's actually opposing that God. That he's making that God's life and job harder. Talk about a super uncomfortable realization about yourself. Anybody ever gone through this, by the way? You ever gone through an experience where somebody revealed something to you about you that you would have otherwise loved to have spent the rest of your life never knowing? You ever done this? Anybody? Just me? Okay. It's happened to me yesterday, actually. Uh, If if ever you're looking for good self-awareness, by the way, if you're looking for a good dose of self-awareness, coach five-year-olds in soccer. Coach five-year-olds in soccer. I'm coaching, some of you know, I'm coaching both of my uh, children's soccer teams. And uh, Everett, my son, he's on the five-year-old team, and we had our last game yesterday. And like, when I went into this thing, I was like, I, I want to help these kids. Like, I, I'm a soccer player. I want to help them understand like how wonderful and how rich and how beautiful this game is. And like, I want them to experience it for a really long time. Yesterday during our last game, uh, one of our uh, wonderful children uh, named Madison sweet, sweet Lord Lover, bless, bless her heart, bless Madison's heart, she ain't there for the soccer, she ain't there for the soccer, she's there for the friends, and dadgummit, she's there for the snacks, okay, she's there for the snacks, but she runs up to me at the beginning of the game, she goes, Coach Kyle, I got a couple things to tell you, I go, great, love to hear it, what do you you got, what do you got, she goes, guess what, so um, my mommy said that after this game, I never have to play soccer ever again. (laughs) So you didn't? You weren't you weren't having um, you weren't having fun with the uh, the soccer and the things? No, <laughs> no, I sure wasn't. So ready to be done. Can't wait. Like literally, could this game? Could you like speed it up? Can we go ahead and get this game going? I'd love to get out of here and never come back. And she goes, second thing, second thing. I was like, oh, there's more. Great. Okay, you got more to share with your coach. This is great. Uh, she goes, you're you're definitely the silliest coach I've ever had. Um, and sometimes you're scary, um, but also uh, you're super super silly. And so I was like, well. Like, informative? We weren't going for anything like that, like a good soccer player? No, silly, silly. That was the that was the description of your coaching career. Good job. As so I walk away from that experience, and it's a conversation with a child, so I'm trying not to take it too personally. But I just remember walking away, and actually the comment that bothered me the most was like this comment of like, Kyle, you're a little scary, Coach Kyle, you're a little scary. And I was like, gosh, like I... I'm a very competitive person, if you've never, if we're still getting to know each other, I'm a very competitive person. I would love so much to go out and play for fun, but I don't understand what people talk about when they say we're gonna play for fun. I play to kill. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> kind of. Um, but it's like, in a moment, a five-year-old revealing things to me about myself that I, as much as I try to escape, they're just still there. And now it's a silly example, but friends, Before you write off, like, the importance of self-awareness, especially in church, maybe some of you are sitting there, you're like, why are we even talking about self-awareness in church? Like, this is, like, for, like, a therapy session. Like, well, that's, like, emotional work. Like, why are we talking about it with faith? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It's because one of the things that this story is, uh, this story uh, from Saul's journey, is it's a reminder that if you never, ever, ever intentionally increase your own self-awareness, Now, what am I talking about when I say self-awareness? I'm talking about your idiosyncrasies, yes, but I'm talking about your wounds. I'm talking about your baggage. I'm talking about the things that you project upon other people. I'm talking about all that unspoken, repressed trauma. If you never become aware of that stuff, if you never become, if you never get to know yourself, you're going to have a really, really hard time getting to know God. Because here's something I know. If you never increase your own self-awareness, you will always be tempted to turn God into your image rather than allow God to make you into his. You'll spend so much of your time trying to concoct a God that just looks like, quite frankly, a deified version of you. Carl Bart Wittingly said it this one time. He was joking around, but he wasn't joking. He said, uh, "Is a theologian. He says, uh, one cannot speak of God simply by speaking of themselves in a really loud voice. If you never gain self-awareness, that's what you'll do. When you talk of God, you're really just talking about yourself. If you're never confronted with your own bias, your own prejudices, your own blind spots, you'll just make God into a glowy version of you. Carl Jung said this, and this has haunted me since the first day I ever read this quote. He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. Or let's put it in church terms. It'll direct your life and you'll call it God. So friends, uh, this, this first dietary suggestion, it's, not, it's actually not a suggestion. It's a requirement. If you want to truly come into contact with the true heart and character of who God is. Self-awareness. Let's keep going. The story continues. So um, after he gets knocked off, after he learns this very unfortunate realization that he's actually been opposing the movement of God, the God that he uh, claimed to be worshiped and loving forever, Jesus speaking to him says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up, go into the city, because now I need to tell you what you must do. You see here in this moment, what's happening is in this very, very painful, devastating, self-realization, self-awareness exercise, Saul also realizes that he's going to have to fundamentally relearn who God is and what he's supposed to actually do to be faithful to this God. He goes on. For the, a very long time, by the way. For those of you who have always, like, read this story and you're like, oh, yeah, so he just got knocked off the horse. He, had this, he gets blinded or whatever, and then he just becomes, like, an immediately uh, an early church leader. That's actually not what happened. Church historians believe that the Damascus Road experience happened somewhere in, like, 36 A.D. He doesn't write his first letter to a church, to 1 Thessalonians. He doesn't write 1 Thessalonians until 51 A.D. That's 15 years for 15 years, what God did with Saul after this moment was he reconstructed, this is the secondary, second dietary suggestion, reconstructed his imagination of who God is, what God's like, and what fundamentally does a life faithful to God actually look like? And friends, I'm telling you, this is, for those of you who... Uh, you get, maybe like this word scares you, you've heard words about, like you've heard the word reconstruction, or you've heard words deconstruction, talking about sort of like the, the process by which you reassess what you've always believed to see if it aligns with Jesus. Sometimes it feels really scary, doesn't it? It feels really scary, especially if you're, you're questioning something, your dad, or your mom, or your pastor, or your Sunday school th- teacher taught you. But one of the things I want you to remember in those moments is the story, is the example of Saul. Because if he doesn't go through this reconstructive exercise, this doesn't happen. He doesn't go on to write 24% of the New Testament. So much of how you and I understand our faith today was because he was brave enough to allow the Holy Spirit to get up in here and rearrange all of his theological furniture. And so, whenever you find yourself in that stage of faith, maybe you've got doubts, maybe you've got struggles, maybe you're like, man, I've always believed this to be true of God or this to be true of my faith, but now I'm just not so sure. Just know that if you go about that process faithfully, it'll actually lead you to something that's far, far better than the thing you had before. I read a study recently that found that um, of committed Christians. Roughly 43% testified to this, admitted to this, there's probably more, 43% of committed Christians admitted that in the last couple of years, with all that's going on in the world, they have seriously reconsidered some of the things they've always believed to be true about God. Quite frankly, how could you not? How could you not? But this is why I wrote the article. I wrote an article for Ministry Matters. It's at our Methodist publishing house. I wrote an article called Five Tips for Healthy Deconstruction. You can find it in the sermon notes, by the way. If you do that sort of thing, you can find it online. You can go to the bulletin, go to the sermon notes. It's in there. You can find this article. And it's because I've got a deep, deep passion for helping people when they enter into the second conversion. They go through a crisis of faith of sorts. I want to help people navigate that so their faith remains intact on the other side. And one of the biggest suggestions, probably the most important suggestion, probably the most important tip in that entire article is number five. And number five says this, when you are ever you're wrestling with a doubt or a struggle or a question in your faith, make sure uh, when you're doing that, when you're reconstructing, make sure you do that with God instead of to God. It's not God's fault. So do it with God not to God. What does that mean? That means whenever you have a doubt or a a struggle or an intellectual sort of thing you're wrestling through with God, make it a prayer. Make it a prayer. God, I'm really struggling. I've always thought this to be true. I've always believed this to be true. You are the truth. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, can you help me out? Can you make this clear? Can you make, as Scripture says, can you make this plain to me? And one of the methods that I always give to folks when people are like, I'm really struggling, I'm really trying to figure this out. One of the things that I do is actually give them a tool uh, that our ancient Christian tradition used to give to people all the time. So actually in ancient Christian monastic tradition, there's something called apophatic theology, fancy pants, uh, which means via negativa, even more fancy pants. What it means is that sometimes the best way to get to know God is to start with what you know is not. Sometimes, the best way to get to know God is not starting with what you know, but starting with you, what you know is not true of God. So maybe like, you do an exercise like this. You make a statement. You make, write this on a piece of paper. God, you are not. I know you are not. I believe you are not. Fill in the blank. I don't know what you would use to fill in the blank today. God, I know you are not. Fill in the blank. So as a result of that, I'm going to stop or I'm going to start fill in the blank. I want you to think about how you would fill in those gaps today. Fill, how would you, what would you put in there? And how might it help you really by renouncing something might it help you come into deeper knowledge and understanding of who God actually is. I did this exercise myself this week. These are the ones that I've been thinking a lot about lately. So the first one uh, is I wrote uh, sort of as like a a prayer to God. I said, God, you don't have favorites. You don't have favorite children. So I'm going to stop hating all those people who believe differently than me. Another one I've been speaking over myself and speaking to God is, God, you don't speak fear. You're not a God of fear. This is the New Testament. You're not a God of fear. So I'm going to stop believing all the lies that my anxiety tries to say to me another one. God, you are not legalistic. You're not legalistic. This relationship is not based off of performance. You're not up there grading my spiritual report card based of how many times I did the right thing versus not doing the wrong thing. And so if that's not who you are, that might be how some, relig- some religious groups do it out there. But if that's not who you are, that's not the way you go about doing things, then I'm not going to be shy about asking you for grace when I do fumble, when I do mess up. Again, sometimes, sometimes, the most powerful thing you could ever say about God is something you know is not true. Amen? Which leads to the last one. So go back to our story one more time. Back to our story one more time. What is the third dietary recommendation? What's the third thing we recommend for folks who are going through this sort of second conversion thing? Again, you go back to our story, you find this to be true. Uh, that So after Saul has this sort of knock off the horse moment, he's told that he's supposed to go into Damascus. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit uh, goes ahead of uh, Saul and finds a disciple named Ananias and says, yo, Ananias, quick question. Um, have you heard of Saul? Ananias goes, yeah, the guy is trying to kill all of us. Yeah, I'm aware, very, very aware yeah about that Uh, you need to become his friend you need to become his friend Uh, he's heading your way and Ananias is like um yeah sure I'll get right on that Uh, and then next scene Saul shows up and sure enough that's exactly what transpires and so Saul shows up hangs out with Ananias and we're told that once he gets to Damascus it's a really interesting part of the story the story says that when he gets to Damascus he's blind so number one he's blind by this vision this light that pierced out of heaven while he was riding on horseback He has to be led by hand to Damascus. And it says that there he remained blind for three days. And meanwhile, he did not eat and he did not drink. It's a really interesting story. The first reaction that Saul had in response to this incredible self-awareness and the reconstructive efforts that's going to be required, the first thing that he realizes is that I need to becomes silent before God. His first response, his first reaction, his first understanding of what's next is he's going to have to stop talking for God and acting for God, and he needs to stop, quiet himself, and listen for what God might want to say to him. And friends, that's always the third thing that I recommend for those of you who ever entered into this stage, is silence, to find, to cultivate, to incorporate into your spiritual diet some form of silence so that you can actually hear what God may be trying to impress upon you in this season of life. I have people come to me all the time and they'll say things to me like, uh, I had someone who said, this is a true story, someone came to me one time and they said, um, I'm going through this really weird part of my spiritual life. Like, I don't, is this normal? I don't know. It's like so funny how similar, like, an experience with a pastor is. Is like a doctor. I'm just like doctors all the time. Is this rash normal? Like, is this spiritual condition normal? So this person comes to me. Is like, I don't, I don't know, like, if this is normal or not. But, uh, like, safe place, safe place. Uh, I'm not enjoying prayer very much lately. I was like, tell me about it. He goes, it feels like every time I pray, like I. It's like it it hit, it's like I'm spiritually constipated, (laughs) That's what he said, That's what he said. He goes, it feels like I'm trying to say things, and they're not getting anywhere, like they're not reaching God. Like, is that normal? No, it's not normal. No, no, it is, it is, it is. I was like, it is, it totally is, it totally is. I wouldn't have used those words in the middle of a church, but, you know, okay, here we are. And I shared with him, I said, "Uh, sometimes this is something I do know to be true. I do know to be true, is that sometimes in our own spiritual lives, when we feel like our prayers are not rising up to heaven, like they're not getting to God's ears, sometimes that's an indication that this is a season to stop talking. And to listen. I'm in a season like that in my own faith right now. Most of the time, the way in which God and I bond, up until this point, was anytime I go for a walk and I pray, I talk the whole time. It's a shocker to no one who knows me very well, but I talk the whole time. I just get out there with Jesus, I go, all right, Lord, and (laughs) all right, it's time for lunch. You wanna say anything? Nope, Okay, good, sweet, going inside. And recently, I found that that's, like I can't, like I can't get the words out, it's weird. That's exactly what my mentor said. He said, I think maybe this is a season where you've been muted so that you might hear something. The story of Zechariah coming to mind, these other passages we know in the Bible. And so friends, I'll close here. I'll close here. If you're like me, if you're like me, and just hearing that at the end, you're like, oh, dear, I knew he was going to say that. And I stink in silence like I'm not a quiet person. And every time I feel like I get quiet, I get distracted by all my to-do lists and all the things. And there's a million things that send me off track. Like, I stink at this. So if you stink at it, I stink too. Okay, so let's do this together. Let's do this together. And one of the things I want to do to help you along is I want to go ahead and warn you. I want to go ahead and warn you that any time you find yourself in a state of your spiritual life where you're trying to be more silent before God, I want you to be prepared, okay? Right now, today, I want you to make a mental note. Be prepared that there are two voices that are gonna come into your brain whenever you try to do this. You ready? The first one sounds like this. The first time you ever, whenever you try to be silent and listen to God, the first voice that will come in is it'll say something like, what if God doesn't show? Like, what if you're about to spend all this time? Like, are you, Kyle, are you serious? You really want to do this? You really want to get this prayer app and, like, turn on this music and do the journaling? Like, you really want to do this? You want to waste an hour? Like, what if God doesn't even show? What if you don't get nothing? What if you sit there and you, like, read your Bible, you're silently, you're listening, and nothing connects with your immediate experience of what you're going through? I want you just to be prepared that that voice will come. And if you let it, it'll make you go, yeah, Good point. I'm going to go watch football. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Because this is the other thing I've known to be true. Any time I've ever done that, that time has never been wasted. Never been wasted. And here's why. If you ever make time for God in your life, just know this. Sometimes God plants, and sometimes God harvests. Sometimes you're going to go over a walk with God. You're going to come to these amazing, beautiful realizations about your life, about parenting, about your job, about the world. And sometimes you're going to be like, huh, that felt like just a bunch of hooey. But here's what I know to be true. Isaiah chapter 55, 11, some of my favorite passages of scripture, says this. So God speaking, the words that come from my mouth, they never return to me empty. Those of you who are old school, my word is never returned void. Never returns void. And so what that means is, friends, sometimes you're going to make space. You're going to become silent before God. God's going to say something to you that you're like, eh, whatever. And then three weeks from now, you're going to go, oh, sweet Lord. That's, that's why. That was why. That was the thing, the thing back there when I thought it was a waste of time. Holy cow, I needed that today. I don't know where I would have been if I hadn't heard that. So this is the first thing I want you to remember. The first voice that's going to come into your life is going to be one that's like, ugh, that's a waste of time. Like, what if God doesn't show? Ironically, here's the second voice. Again, I want to just coach you. I want to prepare you. This is what my experience has been like. The second voice, if the first voice doesn't come, the second voice comes. And this is what the second voice says. The second voice doesn't say, what if God doesn't show? It's what if God does? That's the other question that'll stop me right in my tracks. Before you go out and make space for God to speak to you, what if God does show up? What if God does start saying things to you you don't want to hear? What if God starts revealing things to you you don't want to know about yourself? What if God does to you the same thing God did to Saul, which was, oh, I don't know, flips his whole life upside down and alters the entire trajectory of his story? oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that too could happen. Nope, never mind. I'm just going to go on my 45-minute talk fest with God, and I'm just going to sort of like blah, 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 I'm not going to let him get a word in edgewise, because the moment I do that, I might lose control. Mm. Now we're talking. Now we're at the real heart of the matter. You see, friends, the reason why I'm so tempted... To go the rest of my life and not let God get a word in edgewise is because the moment I do that, God becomes free. Free to move, free to speak, free to change, free to change your mind, free to change your whole life. And it's in that moment that we realize that so many of us prefer not a free Jesus, but a nice, neat, domesticated one. So the real question is this. The real question is this. The real question when you reach this place in your faith journey is, am I here because I really want a relationship with Jesus? Or did I just like the idea of one? Am I here because I really want to follow this wild, untamed Messiah? Or did it just sound good on a coffee mug? and the choice will be yours. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.